We've been marching through the Old Testament. We got the people out of Egypt. We got them uh, to got the law. They they uh, then uh, continued in their disobedience to the Lord. They are stuck in the wilderness for forty years, and now we're at the end of Deuteronomy chapter thirty four, where we're going to look at the story of the death of Moses. Let me read for us the first. Uh, seven verses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. The days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to You thankful for Your Word. Your Word itself says about itself that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, we turn to it for truth. We ask for help from it this morning. We pray that You would use it, Lord, to strengthen our faith, to give us greater hope. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who is outside of the covenant of God, they are not a child of God, but instead an enemy of God because of their sin, then God, I pray that Your Word this morning would convict and give faith. We trust You, Lord, to do that. We ask Your help now, Lord, as we turn and look at Your Word together. In Your name we pray. Amen. Victoria Olstein is one of the pastors of Lakewood Church in Houston. Um, she is author of the book, Love Your Life, Living Happy, Healthy, and Whole. She recently encouraged her church in Houston, Texas, that they should obey primarily because God wants them to be happy. In fact, what God wants most, according to Pastor Victoria Olstein, what God wants most is for us to be happy because that in turn makes Him happy. Uh, one of our deacons, uh, Mark Lawson, uh, was uh, kind enough, if that's what you want to call it, to show me the video of these remarks um, last week. People, you don't have to be a student of the Scriptures long to realize that just is not true. That is clear and present heresy. What makes it so dangerous is that it rings of truth. Let me say that again. 
What makes it so dangerous, though, is that it rings of truth. That is, had she taught that God's name is Jim and he lives in a cabin in South Dakota, it's not nearly as dangerous because nobody's going to believe that because the Bible doesn't teach anything close to that. But the Bible does teach about obedience and happiness in God's glory. The Bible does teach about hope and joy. And so it is easy to be misled. By God's providence this morning, the passage we're looking at gives us a clear picture of what the Bible teaches on happiness in God. It'll clearly show us that her remarks are false. But it also points us to the truth about Christian joy and hope. I've got to tell you, I'm always amazed at the providence of God in expository preaching. I can remember years ago when, when uh, I became utterly convinced that the way you lead a congregation in a preaching ministry is you open up the Bible and you begin just walking through it, text after text, and whatever the Bible says is what you say. Uh, I just thought that was the simplest, easiest, and biggest reason is that's because of the way Christians have done it. Um, and I can remember uh, being told over and over, but if you do that, you can't really be relevant because things will come up and you won't be able to address them. And as I have been a part of doing this for years now, i got to tell you, over and over, it blows my mind that the text of the Lord has already gotten place is a text that is relevant and useful. It's almost as if the Spirit of God were smarter than we are. So anyway, this morning, when happiness gives way to hope. When happiness gives way to hope. The first point I want you to see this morning. Point number one. God does withhold happiness from His people. God does withhold happiness from His people. I know, you're looking at this going, Tim, really? With points like this, we're going to grow a church? I mean, honestly, we're trying to grow a church, folks, not a crowd. If you want to know anything about crowds, remember, professional wrestling draws a crowd. All right, anyway. um, If God gave His children everything that they wanted to afford them happiness then God would be far from the sovereign God of the Scriptures, but more akin to a genie in a lamp as shown in children's stories. God is not a genie. Genies do not exist. God does. It is important that we craft our understanding of human happiness and flourishing, not from our imaginations, but from the Bible. So look with me at Deuteronomy 34, 1-5 at how God dealt with His servant Moses. Now keep in mind, as we're reading this, this is how He deals with Moses, who is arguably the greatest leader outside of the Lord Himself in all of Scriptures. Moses talked openly with God. Moses saw God manifest Himself in some incredible ways. There's a top ten list of that. Moses was given the opportunity to gaze at the glory of God Himself and enjoy it. And this is how God deals with Moses. This is the story of how it ends for Moses. This is how he goes out. Now, if before we go any further, if I ask you, how do you expect it to go? 
if I tell you, you're getting ready to read how it, go, how it ends for Moses. Well, I've got a colleague at work who's about ready to retire. She's been with our company since its inception, and we have a lot of things planned for her, a big bash, if you will. If you hear that Moses is leaving, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking to myself, there's going to be a lot of dead chickens and goats and lamb and, and cattle through the land as there is a huge feast for Moses to go out, right? Look with me. Verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. It's opposite Jericho. The Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan, Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Anessa, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. Then the Geb, the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees as far as Zor. So he takes him up, he goes up on a mountain, he takes him up there and he shows him all the land that he's going to give to his people. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes. You will not go over there. Moses, a servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the Lord of the Lord. There it is. That's the account of the farewell party for Moses. He climbs a mountain and he dies. But don't misunderstand this. Moses didn't climb a mountain and die of a hiking accident or he didn't drop dead of a heart attack on a weekend prayer retreat. In Deuteronomy 32, God already laid out for Moses how this would go down. He told him, you're going to climb a mountain, you're going to be showing the land, and you're going to die. John Calvin says this about this chapter. He said, The ascent of Moses was equivalent to a voluntary going forth to death. He was not ignorant of what was about to happen. Now Mount Nebo, it's east of the Promised Land. If you climb Mount Nebo, you get a perfect view of Jerusalem, what would be soon would soon be the capital city of uh, of Israel. It's a splendid view and God gives them a panoramic view of the land that the people would go into. He shows them the beauty of it. He shows them the beauty of the land that He would give to the people. And who are these people? These are the people that Moses led out of Egypt. The people whose grumblings He dealt with again and again and again. The people who, beg, who, who Moses begged God, please, Don't destroy him. The people he wanted so desperately to bring to the promised land of Abraham. And God allows them to appear in the land. And then he tells them, this is the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the promised land. But you will not go. He might as well have looked at Moses and said, you can look, but you will not touch and then verse four, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Now I'll start with the last part of that. According to the word of the Lord. Here we are reminded of, a, of the fact that Deuteronomy 32 already lays out exactly what's going to happen. But it's also a way of saying... This went down exactly how God planned it. Not only does this not catch God by surprise, 
This is how God penned the end of Moses' journey. This makes the first part that, more, that much more even shocking. Listen to the first part. Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died in the land of Moab. Now, who are the Moabites? Well, Moab was the firstborn of Lot's sons who were born to his daughters. If you remember, Lot's daughters got Lot drunk, had sex with their father, and Moab is the firstborn from those encounters. The Moabites were the enemies of Israel. Big time enemies. And they were enemies of God. Now let me read this again. So Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Abraham is buried in the promised land. Isaac, buried in the promised land. Jacob, you remember what happened? He gets all the way down to Egypt, makes sure they're settled. And what does he tell Joseph you got to do? Son, you got to get me back up to the promised land. I don't want my bones here. They travel all the way back up to the promised land, they bury him, and they go all the way back down to Egypt. Joseph, what's the last thing Joseph made the people promise before he died? Last promise. When you leave here, what? Take my bones with me. Right? And what did they do? They took his bones with them. Abraham. Bones in the promised land. Isaac, bones in the promised land. Jacob, bones in the promised land. Joseph, bones in the promised land. Moses dies alone on a mountain. And his bones are in the land of God's enemies. Just like God planned it. And this sounds like a strange ending for a leader of God's people, doesn't it? Or is it? How did things end for David? Do you remember? Quite honestly, the last years of David's life were a mess. He was betrayed multiple times, even by his own family. He suffered the consequences of his own sinful actions and bad judgment in the temple he longed so bad to build. God would not allow. Like Moses, the one thing he wanted most on this earth, God withheld. What about Elijah? Elijah wanted more than anything to see a revival in the land of Israel. He wanted the, the uh, idols of Baal destroyed. You remember in 2 Kings 18, when, uh, on Mount Carmel, when God comes down and ruins, makes a mockery of the idols of Baal, Elijah thinks, finally, it's happening. The revival's coming. And God basically says, it's not coming. And he dies having never seen the revival he wanted so badly. What about Paul? Arguably, Paul should have more friends than any follower of Christ. Think of all the people whose lives were forever affected by his ministry. We actually get the end of Paul's life and what happened in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me read you a few highlights as he writes from prison. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas... And love with the present world has deserted me. Luke alone is with me. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. 
Paul, the greatest missionary the church has ever known, dies alone in prison. It is deceptive and it is wrong to say that all God wants for you or for I is to be happy. I dare someone to tell Paul that as he sits alone in prison. I dare you to tell Elijah that as he desperately waits for a revival that never came. I dare you to tell David that as he dies without seeing the temple. I want to see you stand by Moses alone on a mountain of the enemies of God as he dies alone and tell him all God wants for you, Moses, is to be happy. I want you to stand beside a father in Mosul, Iraq, while he watched his Muslim, savage Muslims cut his five-year-old boy in half three weeks ago. And you tell him, all God wants is for you to be happy. It doesn't hold water. It is not true. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the Word of the Lord. Friends, how often are we frustrated with God because He doesn't give us what we want? Are we better than David, Elijah, Moses, Paul? i got to tell you, I'm amazed often at how quick I get frustrated with God over the silliest things. The Bible readily tells us that God will not, not always give us what we want. Although God does at times withhold happiness from His people, He will never withhold His presence and love from His people. That's point number two. I want you to see that with me. In Deuteronomy 34, point number two, God never withholds His presence and love from His people. God was clear with Moses that Moses was not entering the land because of his disobedience. Remember, he struck the rock that God told him to ask of water from. Moses didn't go in the land because of his sin. And we hear that and we think, gosh, that seems harsh. That seems like that. I mean, all that because you struck a rock instead of asking for it? Remember the, the connection that Pastor Chad made for us between Numbers and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 last time. Who was the rock according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? It was Jesus, it was Christ. So when Moses strikes the rock, he strikes the Lord Jesus. Moses' sin cost him the opportunity to enter the promised land. Brothers and sisters, our sin cost us as well. Oftentimes our lack of happiness comes at our own hands. And God is kind enough to let us feel the consequences of sin. Lest we fail to turn away and look to Christ. Look at verse 5 and 6. So Moses, servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, verse 6. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. This is an odd verse. 
What do you mean? <laughs> he dies outside the promised land, just as God says. He dies alone. But Moses doesn't die alone. It says he buried him. Well, who buried him? Dead people don't bury themselves, right? Who buried him? <laughs> God buried Moses. Moses wasn't alone on the top of that mountain. God Himself buried Moses. Picture the scene. Moses lays down and breathes his last. God digs a grave. God digs a grave. He closes Moses' eyes. He wraps his body. And he lays Moses' his servant down. And he covers him up. What kindness. What compassion. David, as he's on his deathbed, writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's my refuge. David had been betrayed many times, but God's love remained unabated, steadfast, and real until the end. How did God deal with the servant of Elijah? Elijah was frustrated. He hit the end of Elijah's ministry. I mean, you think in 2 Kings 18, you're like, man, this thing's getting ready to take off. And that's it. There's really nothing else Elijah does for the rest of it. I mean, I'm summarizing some, but really. How does God deal with him? He takes him out in a whirlwind. Scoops him up and takes him straight to heaven. How about Paul? Remember, nobody was there for him. It was Paul beside himself, upset. How could this happen? Let me read Paul on Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. <laughs> the Lord stood by me, and He strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. God stood by Paul when no one else would. Paul was abandoned, but he was not alone. Paul, like many believers in the last few months was in, in Iraq, he, like them, was brutally beheaded. But let us rest assured that Christ stood with Paul to the very end. Thus Paul could be beheaded and actually claim that he's rescued from the lion's mouth. God did not give him everything he wanted. But he was steadfast and he was sure through it all. The Bible is not a hallmark card. It's not a happy gram. It's honest and it's raw. I mean, not even a work of fiction. I mean, think about it. No work of fiction would present their heroes going out like this. But the Bible gives us a real picture of life and how honestly God deals with His children. You know, we don't share a lot of things in common with Moses, David, Elijah, and Paul. But we do have this in common. Every single one of us has sinned against God. 
And we, like them, justly deserve the full fury of His wrath. Each of these men felt some of the painful consequences of their sin. But only Christ bore the weight of their sin on the cross. For each of us this morning, each of us this morning, our only hope is to turn and trust in Jesus and depend solely on Him to save us. Our sins will cause us pain and struggles in this world. But as those whom God has redeemed, we will not struggle without a shepherd. Without a loving Father helping us all the way. God buried Moses on Mount Nebo. He held Elijah all the way to glory. He was David's shepherd and he stood with Paul. God will often withhold happiness, but He will never withhold Himself. He will lead us through pain, but He will hold us every step of the way. Lastly, this morning, I want us to see that God will give His children everlasting joy. And that not only informs us about the future, but it tells us about the here and now, and it gives us a drive for how we now live. God will give His children everlasting joy. I think this point is clearly in the text. I wouldn't preach it. (laughs) But I think it's going to take a little bit of attention uh, and digging for us to see it and also look at a couple other passages before it becomes visible. Verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Oh my word. The, uh, they throw him an over-the-hill uh, over party at 40 and he's like, uh-uh, no, no, i got 20 more years before this party, folks. Uh, he's 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. What? Right? This is before the time of correctional lenses. I even thought about this. I had to stop for a second and think about this again. This is before caffeine. Oh my. I'm all the time when I read these stories of these men, I'm like, they did it without coffee? Right, yeah. I, I gotta tell you, I'm not um, old enough to fully appreciate the point of this verse, but I'm not so young anymore that I don't uh, at least have a category for it. Let's just say the vigor isn't there like it was a decade ago. So imagine, he's 120 years old and his strength is the same and his eyes are, uh, are completely unabated. Come on, right? Why does this matter? One, because if you're going <laughs> to... i got to be honest, I, I, have to, I, I feel a little dumb for how long this took me, okay? I kept reading it over and over going, why did he put that there? <laughs> I was like, stupid. Think about it. He's 120 years old and he climbed a mountain alone. You're going to need some vigor to pull that off. (laughs) God gave him vigor until he was 120 years old so that he could climb a mountain alone so he could die alone and God could bury him. God kept his eyesight perfect. It had to be pristine. I've read some commentaries and they're like, something supernatural had to be taking place here. Nobody could see that much stuff at one time. And I'm thinking, duh, 
the supernatural part, he's 120 years old and he still sees 2020, right? Wow! Isn't that kind of God? For 120 years, he kept his vision sure, his strength sure. So maybe on a certain sense you look at this and think, well, this seems like a cruel joke. Hey, climb this mountain so you can take a look at what you could have had, but what you don't really get. This is not how Moses would have taken it. Go back to verse 4. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give your offspring. I will let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. God describes the land in terms of the promises given to Abraham. Moses was certainly thinking of the people who would soon be led by Joshua into the promised land. Certainly that's on his mind. But he's thinking much, much further than that. He would be thinking of the promised seed of Abraham. You say, well, I mean, come on, that might be good for your sermon, but how do you really back that up? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to call the son, be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this language. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Oh my. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to His reward. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. According to Hebrews 11, Moses, who lived 15 centuries before Jesus, was fixated on Christ. He considers suffering for Christ much better than spending his days in Egypt, the richest country on the earth at the time. So when God gives him a panoramic view of the land, Moses saw more than a land and a people. He saw the coming kingdom and the coming of the king who lives forever. He endured at seeing him who was invisible. He turned down the wealthiest kingdom on earth. He lived his days with an ungrateful people. He climbed a mountain to die. Not because he did not like this world. Not because he was opposed to happiness or enjoy pain. Because he was looking for a bigger, greater reward. The problem with promising people their best life now is not that it makes happiness a premium, but that it does not give sufficient weight to eternal joy. This is the point all over Scripture. Paul famously puts it this way. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. He puts it like this in 2 Timothy 4. This is the exact same ending where Paul's telling us about how it all ends for him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. They're going to behead you. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. I'm going to heaven. The Scriptures teach that we will be unfulfilled in this life. Let me say that again. That is so true and so countercultural. 
The Scriptures teach, they don't just suggest, they teach, you will be unfulfilled in this life. They expect for the children of God, though, to move through this life with a heavenly gaze, an abiding hope, and a confident expectation. That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11. I know we often call it the faith chapter. Fair, that's good. But i got to be honest, I, I really think it would be better named the hope chapter. Faith is merely the fuel. Hope is the driver. It, it's what sets the course for that, for those folks. Remember the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith, you, you know this, faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things what? Not seen. Of things not seen. So believers put all their stock in the unseen. The one who's not yet seen. They're driving towards it. And as they drive, faith just fuels it there. It just keeps giving them fuel. It tells them things like, it's true, it's worth it. This is temporary. You're a pilgrim. There's a greater cause. There's a lasting reward. Keep going. Keep driving. If you don't believe me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. He's summing it up. This is unbelievable. He says this, Some were tortured. He's talking about believers, and in particular he's talking to those who he just listed in that hall of hope. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Do you see the exchange going on? That's what the people of God do all day long. No thanks, something better. No thanks, something better. They were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, all of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these... Though commended through their faith, see that? Though what? Though commended, that's basically saying, though fueled through their faith, all of these fueled through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They were never fulfilled here. They didn't get everything they wanted, they weren't always happy. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They, David, Moses, Elijah, died unfulfilled in this life because God had not yet sent Jesus the forever King. Moses died alone on top of Mount Nebo longing for the King of Kings, hoping in the King of Kings. And let me take you to another mountain in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, Jesus climbs to the top of a mountain and talks with and takes with him Peter, James, and John. Now there are some folks who think this is Mount Nebo. I wish it were, it would make my point even starker, but we're gonna uh, we're just gonna let you know that some folks think it is. We don't really know because it just says mountain. Verse 2 of Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
Does that sound familiar? Got people going up a mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and who? Moses. They were talking with Jesus. You just saw Brother Moses cash in on his reward. Last time Moses was on a mountain, God was burying him. On that day, he looked at the one who would let him rise again. Can you imagine staring at Jesus and realizing He's the promised seed. He's not just going to secure a kingdom for this land. He's going to secure a kingdom for the entire world. This is better than I ever dreamed. And i got to imagine there's a thought in Moses that said, I'm so glad I did not cash in on the pleasures of Egypt. That king's been long dead for a long time. People don't even remember his name. Tut, mahut, mut, something, right? And now I will live with the king of kings. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Not at all. God is still in charge of this world and there's a lot of happiness to be found in it. But we cannot expect lasting fulfillment here and now. For God forbid you think you find it here and you set your gaze on this world and you get eternal doom. Oftentimes the kindest thing God does is rid us of things here and now so that we're stripped bare. And then He sets our gaze on Christ. This is why Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Folks, you could go with unhappy there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, are you asking too much of this world? And are you asking too little of the coming kingdom? Is there a longing in your soul for a deep and abiding reward with Christ? More than a thought or feeling, does the way you spend your time, your money, your energy reflect hope in this world? Or in a coming kingdom? It's my prayer that God will move our hearts to let loose the grip on this world and gain a tighter grip on the kingdom of heaven. Moses climbed a mountain to die alone in the land of God's enemies. How? By not gripping too tightly on this world and putting all his hope in another world. May God grant us grace to live with a similar hope and a longing expectation. Let's pray.